Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, I'm a fan of baseball history. It started for me as a young boy when I I began collecting baseball cards. And I eventually had a card collection of 6,000 cards. And one of the buddies that I traded cards with had inherited his dad's baseball baseball card collection. So he had cards from the 1930s and 1940s that his dad had collected and I traded for them. I ended up with a lot of cool old cards. So I grew up knowing the names and faces of baseball greats like Ty Cobb and Lou Gehrig and Stan Musial and one of my favorites, Ted Williams. Uh, Ted Williams, considered by baseball fans to be uh, possibly the greatest hitter of all time. In fact, if you go to a Tampa Ray Bays game down in Florida, they have a special section of the stadium. It's, it's a hitter's hall of fame and it's named after Ted Williams. So this past summer, I decided to read a biography on Ted Williams, my hero, and it rocked my world. Because this guy who was such an amazing baseball player was not a nice guy, (laughs) okay? So I'm reading the biography and anytime there's dialogue with Ted Williams, it's just punctuated with F-bombs and the guy was a womanizer and he was a heavy drinker and he was self-absorbed and he abused fans. He made the headlines one time for spitting in a fan's face, another time for beating up a fan. This is my hero, Ted Williams. Now, maybe you've had an experience something like this, somebody you admired, some leader, some hero. It could have been in sports world, uh, maybe in business, maybe your extended family or politics or some area. You had a hero until you discovered some inappropriate misbehaving on their part. And it, it sort of took the wind out of your sails. In church world, there are two stories that have been dominating the, the news over the last couple of months along these lines about leaders that have disappointed people, c- Catholic priests who've abused children, that's been a big story. But don't think it's just a Catholic problem, it's a Protestant problem as well. Uh, near here, big mega church, Willow Creek Church, known around the country, around the world, and a senior pastor who had to resign early because of inappropriate uh, behavior with women. These sort of debacles leave most of us asking the question, can church leaders be trusted? Can church leaders be trusted? Now last weekend we began a four-week series called Church on the Rock, a Place You Can Trust. Church on the Rock, a Place You Can Trust. So what are the ingredients of a healthy, trustworthy church? Today we're going to talk about leaders. Leaders. How can we be assured that we have godly leaders at Christ Community Church, leaders who are worthy of our support, worthy of our confidence. I want you to turn with me to today's scripture. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, get those Bible pages flipping or go online if you've got an electronic Bible with you. You may have to look into the table of contents. It's one of those little New Testament books toward the end of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, this New Testament epistle to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was a mentoree of Paul's. He'd spiritually mentored him, and then he had assigned him a job, you know, to be a senior pastor of a church in a bustling seaport city known as Ephesus. 
Uh, Ephesus, according to historians, had over 200,000 people living in it back in Timothy's day. So this was a huge responsibility. Paul has a lot to say to Timothy about the importance of good leadership in the church. Not only Timothy's own leadership as senior pastor, but also the leadership of others whom Timothy was supposed to recruit and train and oversee. So today we're going to take a look at three aspects of church leadership. What makes for godly leaders? What do godly leaders look like? Leaders who will ensure that a church like Christ Community Church is rock solid, a place that people can trust. Whether you've come here today as someone who's been around for three years, five years, 15 years, you're fully invested here, or you're a relative newcomer, maybe someone who's still exploring the Christian faith, exploring the possibility of a relationship with Jesus, and you're, you know, you're... You're a bit nervous looking into church. Can church be trusted? Can the leaders of this church be trusted? So three aspects of leadership. And the first one is really basic, the title, okay? What what is the title by which church leaders go in the Bible? Let me read the opening verse of today's text to you. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing says, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Okay, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. This is the word of the Lord. And this is what God says about church leaders. It begins with the title. Now, what is the title given to church leaders in this verse? If you see it, call it out. Overseers, overseers. This is not the only word used to describe church leaders in the New Testament. There are three common words used to describe church leaders, overseers, elders, and pastors. And and each word, you know, carries with it a certain significance, something, it tells us something about the leadership role in the church. Overseers tells us about the job. The job of church leaders is to oversee, to watch over the church. So they watch over the congregation, they watch over the church's staff, they watch over the theology of the church to make sure that the church is teaching what's in the Bible, okay? They watch over the ministries and the programs of the church, kind of an, an over, overall oversight responsibility. Elders is another word that describes these church leaders, and, and elders communicate something about spiritual maturity. Now you hear elder and you think older, right? And it is older, but not necessarily in chronological terms. Not, not physical years, but spiritual years. Uh, so for example, at Christ Community Church, we have a number of relatively young leaders, uh, but they are spiritually mature. They're, they're wise beyond their years, so to speak. So you could be 30 years old and have the spiritual maturity of a 50-year-old. You could be 50 years old and have the spiritual maturity of a 10-year-old. You know, and it may be because you're 50 and you just surrendered to Christ like a year ago, or, or it could be because you're 50 and you've known Jesus for years, but you've just not gotten into his word very much. So elder speaks of spiritual maturity. And then the third title, pastors, talks about a relationship with people. A church leader's job is to shepherd people, to care for people. So three titles, overseers, it's about the job. 
Elders is about spiritual maturity, and pastors is about a relationship with people, caring for people. Now, let me explain how those titles work at Christ Community Church. We have two basic spiritual leadership groups, ministry leadership groups at our, our church. The first is a group of volunteer, non-paid elders at each of our four campuses. Again, we call, the word we use for these people is elders, and they, they protect our church. They oversee our church from a 30,000-foot level, okay, from a big-picture perspective, uh, every one of our campus has a, has a group of elders and there is a lead elder among them and the lead elders get together once a month for a four-hour meeting at our St. Charles campus and we talk about how the church is doing, you know, what problems need to be addressed. We spend a lot of time in that four-hour meeting in prayer. Okay, that's one of our ministry leadership teams, and that team is supported administratively by a group called the trustees, and they oversee our finances and so on. But there is a, a second group of ministry leaders, and we call them the pastoral staff. The pastoral staff. We have 40 pastoral staff across our four campuses. And they are supported in their work by 60-plus support staff, administrative staff, so over 100 staff altogether. But our pastoral staff, those 40 pastoral staff people, they direct the day-to-day -day ministries of our church. They direct Kids World. They direct International Impact. They direct Care Night and community groups and so on. So two, two groups of leaders, elders, ministry leaders, elders, and pastoral staff. We like to say that we are an elder-protected, staff-directed church. The elders give oversight, big-picture oversight, protecting our church. The pastoral staff direct the day-to-day -day ministries of our church. Number two, that's the title. Number two, the selection. Okay, what does the Bible say about how a church should select its leaders? It's kind of funny how churches operate in a way that's similar to the political structure of their, their country. Whatever that political system is, they tend to draft behind it. For example, last week I was visited by a friend of mine. He stayed with me for several days with his wife. His name is Peter Saltov. He's a Russian pastor. I met him years ago, 20-some years ago in Moscow when I went over to do some training with uh, fellow pastors of his. I've been back several times since, and so we visit each other uh, semi-regularly. And Peter was telling me in a late-night conversation we were having how the pastors in Russia are kind of mini-Putins. You know, that's their political system. They're, they're little dictators because, you know, they live in a dictatorship. And so the senior pastor of every church in Russia, they make all the important decisions, right down to the selection of the leaders. Now we hear that and we say, well, that's not right. And we say that's not right because we live in a democracy, right? So we believe that everybody ought to be able to vote on everything. And so that's the system we sometimes import into our American churches. And so in many churches, the membership of the church votes on everything from the color of the carpeting in the auditorium to the selection of the leaders. But is that system right? Is it biblical? Let, let me tell you how we select leaders at Christ Community Church. And I'll begin by focusing on our elders. Okay, we, we have a five-step selection process, and we try to follow biblical principles every step along the way. So step number one. 
Once a year, every year, once a year, we ask you, the congregation, to submit the names of people who seem, seem to meet the qualifications of elder. And we'll talk more about what those qualifications are a little later. We also ask our staff to provide names and our existing elder team to provide names. We want your input. You know, I don't want the sole responsibility for selecting our leaders around. I don't want to be Pastor Putin, all right? And so we ask for your input. In a church of 5,000 people, there are a lot of folks you know that I don't know. So you may be aware of some prospective leaders. So in the early church, this is what they, they practiced. You could read about it in Acts chapter 6. On one occasion, they had a very important task for which they needed some new leaders. And so the existing leaders of the church went to the congregation and said, give us some names. Who are some people who seem to be qualified? So that's what we do here. Step two. Our existing elders then review all the names that have been submitted to us, and we try to find out everything we can about these people. You know, where are they serving currently in our church, and do they seem to meet the qualifications uh, of elder? And then as a group, we decide who from among these many names we're going to proceed with. And I say as a group, it's a group decision, again, not a senior pastor decision, because of the, the biblical principle you find in the book of Proverbs that there is wisdom in many counselors. If you've got an important decision to make, the, the wisdom is to be found in getting feedback from you know, people beside yourself. So that's step two. Step three, once we've made a selection of who we're going to pursue, we go to those people and we say something like this. You know, your name has come up. It's been suggested by members of the congregation that you might be an elder. And we want you to pray about it. We want you to think about it. We want you to put this idea before God and ask God if he's perhaps leading you to consider this role. Now go back to today's scripture. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. Paul says, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. He's looking for people who aspire to the role. People who feel like, oh, I think God's leading me to take on this responsibility. You know, I've served in a, a couple of churches prior to Christ's community that, that, that did the democracy thing, the vote on everything, vote for leaders. And I can remember occasions running into a leader who would say to me something like this, you know, well, I, I didn't really want to be an elder, but the congregation voted for me, so I kind of feel obligated to do it. And I wanted to say, no, no, that's not the biblical way. You know, that's why we don't vote on things like leadership around here. You know, is God leading you to aspire for this position? And that brings us to step number four. You know, if a candidate comes back to us and says, yeah, I think, you know, God might want me to pursue this, then we set up an interview with that person. And if, if they're married, we set up an interview with them as a couple. And the whole elder team participates in this interview, and it goes on for at least an hour. And we dig deeply into that person's life. We want to know about the, the spiritual disciplines that they practice on a daily basis to walk closely with God. We want to know about the health and vitality of their marriage. You know, we want to know about their schedule. Is there room in their schedule to, to be an elder and carry the responsibility? Or is their schedule packed with other things? We want to know about their style of conflict management because our elders get, get into a lot of conflict that has to be resolved. And so we want to know, how, in your life, how do you resolve conflict? We dig down deep. And at the end of that meeting, our elders decide whether this person seems like a fit or they're a nice person but maybe not a fit for this job. 
If it's a go-ahead, it takes us then to, to the uh, fifth and final step of the process. We, we let the candidate know they've been given the green light. However, we need to put their name in front of the congregation. Their name appears in our written program at a weekend service for several weeks running. And we invite you to give us any feedback you want to give us. Now, the reason we do this is because you might know some of these people still better than we do or something about them that we should be alerted to. And I'm not speaking of deep, dark secrets. Yeah, I could remember on one occasion it was something as simple as someone came to us and said, hey, that person who's a candidate for elder, they're in my community group, and they miss a lot because they're on the road a lot. I'm just wondering, do they have the time to be an elder? We said, good question, good question. And we got back together with that candidate and we talked that through. So that's our elder selection process. It is, it is as biblical as we can make it. So what about our selection process for the other ministry leadership team, the pastoral staff? Well, I don't have time to cover that in detail, but I'll tell you uh, two or three important considerations when we're looking for paid, uh, paid pastoral staff. The first is we try to hire from within our church as often as possible. So there are people on our staff, many people on our staff, who used to be in your seat, you know, working a secular job and decided to come work for us at Christ Community. And for us, that's the best win because it means we already know that person. They're already volunteering in ministry here and so we know about their work ethic, we know about their love for Jesus, we know about their character, we know about their people skills. It's always best to hire from within when you really know someone. You know, we prefer that to having to go outside and, you know, bring someone in from another city and then, uh, you know, all you get to know is the tip of the iceberg while, while you do the interview process. So we try to hire from within. Second thing we do is we collect as much information about this person as possible. We give them spiritual gift inventories and personality inventories and leadership style inventories. We got a two or three page questionnaire of ministry and personal life questions we ask them to fill out in detail. If we bring them in from outside, we, 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 may, we may fly them in two or three times and we have them meet with a whole variety of interview groups. Okay, it's pretty intense, pretty intense process. And, and, and then we, we call the references, probably half a dozen references and you know, get the backdrop on them and how they served in previous positions and, and so on. And if it's a, a lead position, a senior level pastoral staff position, a third thing we do is we then bring them back one last time to meet with our elder team. And again, it's a very careful scrutiny. That's usually a two, two and a half hour meeting. So all through this process, we are praying and praying and God lead us and close doors if we're, if we're barking up the wrong tree. I think I just mixed my metaphors. Close doors if we're barking up the wrong tree. But, you know, God, close, yeah, close the door here if this isn't the right person. By the way, we just hired in the last several months three new pastoral staff. And I want to put their mug shots up here so you start to get to know them. Uh, this is Steve Gallagher, our, our new Connections pastor. And uh, next one is Chris Eldridge, a community impact pastor. And the last one is Stu Paulson, our 20s and singles pastor. And I show you their picture across our four campuses because even though their offices are, are at the St. Charles campus, they serve all four campuses. So in fact, let's give these new guys a hand, all right? 
We have got a great team. And that leads me to the third thing we're going to talk about with regard to leaders, and that is the qualifications. We talked about the title. We talked about the selection. Go back to 1 Timothy 3, because the major emphasis of today's passage has to do with leadership qualifications. There's a long list of things the Apostle Paul says we ought to be looking for in prospective leaders. Now, before we do a flyby of these qualifications that Paul lists here, there's a qualification that's not listed. It just seems to be assumed here, and it's a sensitive issue, so I want to get it out in the open. Paul seems to intimate in the verses we're about to look at that, that elders and pastoral staff should be qualified men. Qualified men. For example, verse 2. If you're open to the scripture, Paul says that an elder should be someone who is faithful to, say it, his wife. Verse 4. Paul says that an elder should be someone who manages his own family well. In fact, Paul uses the masculine pronoun throughout this list of qualifications. So is Paul teaching, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, is Paul teaching that qualified women should not be elders or, or should not have senior level staff positions? And even if Paul is teaching that, is it just his accommodation to a first century culture? Or is it something that we should still apply to our churches today? Loaded issue. Let's just close in prayer and go home. <laughs> Whoa. In the early days of Christ Community Church, when we were trying to figure out what our leadership structure should look like, we spent two years drilling down in this issue. Two years. You know, we read every New Testament passage that seems to touch on the issue. We read numerous books on the topic written by Bible scholars from every perspective. Let me tell you what we concluded and how we operate. And this is an extremely brief overview. If you want more detail, we've actually put together a, a theological white paper on the subject of women and leadership, and it's available hard copy at the information counter at any any of our four campuses. But there are basically three positions that Bible scholars take with regard to the topic of women in leadership. Okay, three positions out there. At one end of the continuum is what is called the patriarchal position. The patriarchal position. The Bible teaches according to the patriarchal position that men should be given the leadership role in every arena of life, always. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether it's the church or the family or business or education or politics, leadership is for men. Now, the problem with this position is that the Bible describes leadership as a spiritual gift. You could look it up, Romans 12, verse 8, it's a spiritual gift. And all of the spiritual gifts are given, with, you know, without any gender specificity at all. They're given to both men and women. So we've got to assume that both men and women have been given the gift of leadership. Not everybody, but a select group of men and women have this particular gift. So if you're a woman who's been given the gift of leadership and you're not supposed to use it anywhere, what's the deal, right? Doesn't make sense. So at the other end of the continuum is what is called the egalitarian position. 
The Bible teaches, according to this position, that men and women have equal worth before God, and so their roles in life should be equal. So whatever men can do, women can do, and, and vice versa. There, there, there's no doubt that the Bible teaches that men and women have equal worth before God. But does that necessarily mean that their roles in life should be totally interchangeable? You know, think about it for a moment. Totally interchangeable? How many of you know a guy, you know a dude, who gave birth to a baby and nursed that baby? You see where I'm going with this? You know, it seems obvious that God has given women, at least some women, an incredible capacity for nurturing nurturing a child. Now you say, well, you know, guys can be nurturing too, yes, but nowhere near to what a woman can be, let me tell you. So is it possible somebody was clapping for their mother right there? <laughs> yes, yes. Is it possible that God has designed women for some roles and men for some roles? And that leads us to a third position, and this is Christ Community Church's position. It's called the complementarian position. The complementarian position teaches that men and women are indeed of equal worth before God, absolutely. However, they are designed by God to occasionally, occasionally play different roles, roles that complement each other. So for example, in a family, we believe that the Bible teaches that men and women, husbands and wives, moms and dads, have, both have leadership roles in the family. They are co-leaders in the family. Okay, so none of this dad rules the roost like a, you know, like a, a tyrannical king. Both lead. However, we also believe that the Bible teaches there is a point person responsibility given to the husband, given to the dad. And I could cite you any number of New Testament scriptures to back this up. So they're both called to leadership, but there's some special point person role given to the dad. Okay, in the church, the church is the family of God. We believe the Bible teaches there are certain point person responsibilities given to qualified men as the dads of the church. Not every man, certain qualified men become the dads of the church. Now, leadership is shared among men and women, but certain roles for qualified men. What does that look like at Christ Community Church? Well, there are two point person leadership roles that we believe God has reserved for qualified men here at our church. The first has to do with our elders. Okay, so we choose elders around here who are godly men. Now, let me hasten to add, because we believe that leadership, you know, we need female leadership as well as male leadership at, at our church. When a guy comes to us as an elder candidate and he's married, we interview the, the wife as well, because we let the guy know you're basically going to serve as a couple. Okay, so, so if you've ever been prayed for by the elders of our church, like after uh, one of our communion services, you've gotten prayed for by men and women, husbands and wives. They serve together as a team. You know, when our elders intervene in a marriage crisis where there's conflict, 99% uh, of the time we send the elders with their wives. They serve together as, as a team. When we're hiring a senior level staff position, we invite the elders' wives to join us so they could be part of the hiring process and give us their perspective. 
So even though we believe the elder is, a, is to be a godly man with a point person responsibility, a dad in the church, we try our best to share that leadership role, men and women serving alongside of each other. Pastoral staff. Okay, in the same way in pastoral staff, although there are both male and female leaders on our church pastoral staff team, there are female pastors as well as male, male pastors. We believe there are a few roles on a pastoral staff that God has reserved for godly men. Senior pastor is one of them. Executive pastor, we've got three executive pastors. And I suppose you could throw in you campus pastors, you're kind of the senior pastor of your, your congregation. So that's how we operate. Again, there are female pastors around here. They're you know, totally open to a female pastor leading a department, uh, totally open to uh, females being up here on the platform of our church leading. If you're here for any length of time, you've seen females in leadership, in communication roles, serving communion, uh, occasionally speaking for a weekend service. You know, that's how we, we operate. We, we, we're trying our best to follow what Scripture says. Now, there's a lot more I could say on this topic about women in leadership in the church, but, you know, we just don't have the time. I do want to say this. If you don't agree with us on this position, then just get out of here. <laughs> I'm glad you get my sense of humor, okay? Because that's a, a very dangerous thing to do in case people take you seriously. Seriously, here, here's how we operate. This is not a critical doctrine of our church. It's how we operate according to what we believe the Bible teaches. But if you come to a different conclusion, okay, based on your study of the Bible, God's word, not based on political correctness, but if you come up with a different conclusion, you could be a member here. It's, it's not a membership do or die sort of issue. We're glad you're here. We, we ask that you don't make trouble, okay? And we, we ask that you, you seek to understand what God's word teaches on stuff, but this is, this is not a critical doctrine for us. Okay, back to Paul's list of leader qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, and I'm gonna fly through most of this list because they're fairly self-explanatory with one exception. There's one item here we're going to park on in just a moment. But the, the qualifications begin in verse 2. Paul says, now the overseer, okay, we're talking about the elder or the pastoral staff member, is to be above reproach. Above reproach. This is a catch-all category. It's kind of a heading for everything that follows. Above reproach does not mean that they're perfect. In, in fact, one of our elders emailed me this week. Uh, because every week I send out my sermon notes. Before I ever preach, I send my notes out to several elders, several staff members. I ask them to re review and give me feedback. And uh, so that's part of, you know, part of the scrutiny and accountability that goes on around here. And one of the elders wrote and said, just don't make it seem like we're perfect because we're not. So on, on his behalf, I'm saying some of our elders are real dirtbags. So don't, don't, <laughs> think, don't think they're all... No. What this means, above reproach, is not that they're perfect, but that there are no glaring character faults, okay? We go on with the list. Keep reading, verse two. Next qualification, and faithful to his wife. Again, faithful to his wife, if this is a senior pastoral position, we apply this. If it's a regular pastoral position, we feel like we're covering the base by having dads on the staff, and so, you know, you could turn this 
reverse it. If it's a female pastoral staff, then she's faithful to her husband. Now, I love, I love the way the original Greek text puts this. Faithful to his wife is literally, he's a one-woman man. Sounds like a start of a country western song, doesn't it? He's a one-woman man. Now, I've got to tell you a humorous anecdote along these lines because I'm going to get real serious in just a moment. So I'll start with a little bit of levity. This past Monday, I was headed to work out. And uh, as I was saying goodbye to my wife, uh, she said to me, she said, well, you may see me at the gym because I'm coming by in, in just a little bit to work out. So I went over and I went through some warm-up exercises and then I'm walking across the gym to my favorite elliptical machine and there's a stretching area and there's a, a woman stretching out on a mat who looks like Sue. Some of you already know where this is going. Okay, and I have to qualify this by saying I typically work out without my glasses and I'm blind as a bat, okay? So I walk over toward the mat, and she's got Sue's basic size, Sue's hairstyle. She's even wearing the same color gym clothes that Sue usually works out in. All right, so she's contorted as she's stretching out. So I lean over, and I go, whoa, stretch it. <laughs> it wasn't Sue. <laughs> She looked up and I smiled and I... <laughs> this is how church leaders get a bad reputation. Okay, so what, is it, what does it mean to be a, a one-woman man? It means you don't hit on ladies at the gym, all right? Oh, golly. But seriously, what does it mean to be a one-woman man? It means a church leader doesn't carry on an emotional relationship with a woman at work. It means that a church leader doesn't look at naked ladies on porn websites. It means that a church leader doesn't flirt with attractive women that he runs into. It means that a church leader doesn't engage in lingering hugs with women and, and so on. You know, I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a reporter for a radio station in DeKalb. And she wanted to interview me on the whole Willow Creek affair. She said, I, I want to hear about what you do at Christ Community Church to prevent this sort of thing from, from happening. And I, I talked to her for a few moments, and I declined the interview because I could sense that what I would say to her could get taken out of context or twisted, and I didn't want to go there. But I want to tell you today what we do to keep this sort of thing from happening at Christ Community Church. Christ Community, here's what we do. Okay, the first thing is we have a moral fences policy, moral fences policy, and we enforce it rigorously around here. And there are about a dozen items on this moral fences policy. Like one of the items, you've probably heard this one said before in, in some church contexts, you know, if, if you serve on the staff around here, there are to be no one-on-one -on -one meetings with a member of the opposite sex. There's safety in numbers, include a third person. Okay, if you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting, you, you either have it out in the open, in the lobby, the atrium lobby of one of the campuses, or if you're in an office, it's an office with a window in the door or the door is standing open. Okay, and you don't meet one-on-one -on -one with a member of the opposite sex at a restaurant, at a coffee shop, in your car, you don't ride someplace together. I've been observing this rule for over 30 years here. 
If you ever see me in a, in a public setting with a good-looking woman by myself, it's my wife or one of my beautiful daughters or my sister lives in the area, it could be her. But it's, you know, it's not going to be a volunteer leader or a member of our pastoral staff. Now, there, there are many other, many other rules that go with the moral fences policy, but again, if, if you violate them around here, it means trouble for you. Second thing, we ask every pastoral staff member, male and female, and every elder of our church to have an accountability partner with whom they meet at least every other week. And with our accountability partners, I've met with the same guy for a number of years. We are open, honest, transparent. We say, hey, here's where I've fallen down this week. This is what I'm struggling with. Here's where I'm tempted. We're totally open, and we pray for each other. And we, we keep our eyes open. If, if we observe any behavior that looks inappropriate, we speak into that. You know, a third thing we do, if a church leader is accused of sexual misbehavior, we dig into it until we uncover the truth. We don't let it go. We're like a dog with a bone until we get to the truth of the matter. And so in the past, this is involved when accusations have arisen. This has involved uh, the use of counselors, uh, the use of, uh, you know, we go through phone logs, we go through history of browsing on the computer. We get eyewitnesses to come in. We have even used polygraphs, a lie detector test with a professional administering it. And, and in a few cases over 30 plus years that I've been here, in a few cases where a person has been proven guilty, we have publicly dismissed that person because that's what the Bible says to do. It says to, to, to deal with it right out in the open. Remember the name of the series? The name of the series is Church on the Rock, a place you can what? Trust. And unless the leaders of the church are trustworthy, the church is not trustworthy. So we take this real seriously. Back to the remainder of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, and they're all pretty self-explanatory, so I'll move quickly through them. Middle of verse 2, they need to be temperate. That means they're level-headed, they're clear thinkers, self-controlled. It means they've got personal disciplines in place. They're not given to excessive behaviors, excessive eating, excessive spending, excessive talking or TV watching. They're self-controlled people. Next item is respectable. People look up to them. People want to follow them. John Maxwell, a famous leadership guru who's written numbers of books on the, on the topic, one of his favorite expressions is, he who thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following is merely taking a walk. So, you know, leaders have to be respectable. They gotta have people following them. Next, hospitable. Okay, church leaders need, you know, they love to make people feel at home. In the early church, this was so critical because in the early church, uh, Christians were under persecution, so you could lose your house. Your house could be confiscated or burned to the ground, and you had no place to go unless brothers and sisters in Christ would take you in. And so church leaders are to be those hospitable kind of people willing to take others in, even if it's only for a meal or to watch a ball game together. They're hospitable. Next, quality. Qualification, able to teach able to teach. Now, this doesn't mean that a church leader, every church leader has to do what I'm doing today, standing in front of uh, hundreds of people 
and speaking, but it means they got to know the Bible really, really well so they can apply it to individual situations one-on-one. They could bring a word of comfort or a word of challenge or, or, or a, a word of feedback, you know, when there's conflict. Verse 3, they're not given to drunkenness. Okay, church leaders don't have to be teetotalers, but for the most part, they're people who stop at, you know, one beer, one glass of wine, because they want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by alcohol. Next one, they're not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. You know, church leaders have to be good at getting along with other people. You know, their, their words, they should know how to use their words carefully. So, so they bring a conflict to resolution. They don't ramp it up. They don't amp, amp up conflict by heated words. You know, so if a person can't get along with other staff members in the same sandbox, and, you know, it's difficult to have them serve here at Christ Community Church. End of verse 3. They're not a lover of money. Now, we, we've got a number of volunteer leaders on our elder team who in their day job, and their vocation, they make a lot of money. So how do we know they're not a lover of money? We know it by their giving track record, by their generosity. So we, we never bring a person on board, either into a pastoral staff position or an elder, whose giving record we've not checked, because we want to know, is this a generous person? Is this a person who gives to the support of God's work, work through the local church and through other Christian organizations? Verses 4 and 5 describe another characteristic. I'm going to sum up verses 4 and 5 as skilled manager. Okay, that's the qualification I want to give you. Skilled manager. Verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Paul's telling us here, hey, I'm not just talking about character qualities. I'm also talking about skills. See, it's not enough for a guy just to be a nice guy. So he's kind and he's compassionate, he's prayerful, and he knows the Bible. Let's make him an elder. No, 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 no. He's also got to have the skill of being able to manage others as evidenced by the fact that he manages his own home well. Okay, so around Christ's community church, I mean, we, we, we've got a large church, four different campuses, multi-million dollar budget, 100 plus staff. You know, we need leaders, elders who can give oversight to hiring process. You know, to mentoring marriages, to uh, addressing conflict. Uh, we, we need skilled managers. Same with our, our pastoral staff. If they're leading a ministry, we need people who are really good at what they do. And if it turns out that we hire someone and they're really a nice person, but they're not good at, at making their ministry thrive and, and grow, then we typically need to replace them. And some people say, oh, you know, that... That feels bad. That doesn't feel like a church should operate. Well, according to what Paul says, we need skilled managers in each position. One last characteristic. It pops up in verses 6 and 7. I'm going to call it experience. Paul says a leader can't be a, a, a newbie, a rookie. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So we look for elders at Christ Community Church who are not recent converts. They've been walking with Jesus for a few years. We, we look for elders who've already been serving around here. They're community group leaders or ministry directors. And says, you know, they've got experience at leadership. Same with ministry staff. Experiences, experience is important. 
We have covered a lot of ground today. I've given you a lot of information. So as I wrap, as I bring it to a close, let me bring some applications home to you. The first is I hope, I hope that you feel confident in the leaders we have at Christ Community Church. When you hear about the rigor of the selection process that you say, oh, thank God, I'm in a church where the leaders can be trusted. And so, so I hope that you not only want to come here yourself and submit to the leadership of the church and follow where they're leading you, but I hope you feel good about bringing friends. The second thing I, I, I want to say is I hope as you see the picture Paul paints in 1 Timothy 3, some of you are saying, I want to be that kind of person. Okay, not, not, you don't want leadership just so you get to lord it over others and make decisions. You want to be a leader because you want to look like the person Paul described with all those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. I, he says, verse 1, it's a good thing to aspire to leadership. So if you aspire to leadership because you want to be this kind of a person, go for it. Take a look at these character qualifications when you get home today and say, so God, where am I missing? Where do I need to grow? And the third thing I'd want to say to you is this. Would you please pray for the leaders of Christ Community Church? Would you pray for the pastoral staff? Would you pray for our elders? Leadership is a tough church. Leadership is a tough job. You know, there are times I could remember some time ago I said to my wife on a particularly difficult week, I should have been a plumber. And Sue looked at me somewhat hopefully and said, do you think you'd like plumbing? <laughs> I'd make a lousy plumber. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'll make a lousy pastor if you don't pray for me. And same is true of every one of our staff, people, and elders. We count on your prayers. When this whole thing came up with Willow, I was so humbled by the number of texts and emails and calls and whatever I got from people saying, Pastor Jim, we're praying for you. We're praying for our staff. You know, we count on that. So pray for us. Now, we're going to sing a closing song of worship, but let, let me close in, in prayer this sermon portion, and then we'll move on. Lord God, thank you for having such a high standard for your church. We want to live up to it at Christ's community. So please, God, and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen.